Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the HLP. On this episode 130 intro, I would like to announce that Carnal of Tears really is coming to an end very soon. With that, we're going to continue that Linked Legacy podcast with no response from Deepmar. That will be GM'd by Steve. I'm playing in it. I don't know if we've announced the other players, but I think it'll be a really fun very different thing for us. We haven't had Steve GM on a show before, so we're very excited about that. And we will be releasing the first episode of that module on the main feed, very similar to the way that we did with Carnival of Tears, so that anyone who's not currently a $5 and up patron can test it out, see if maybe they want to listen to the rest of them. And if you do, you have to join our Patreon at a $5 or up here. That is all of the exciting news that I have for right now. So, with that, welcome to episode 130, A Rube with a View. and things that go boom then buckle up listener because this one's for you prepare yourself for the hideous laughter podcast hey everybody welcome back to the hideous laughter podcast episode 130 what a harrowing octopus encounter Another fun one, another one where we split the party and we had some environmental effects going on. Heavy kudos to Emily. Good job on the aquatic spells. I've been waiting to use aquatic spells for so long. Yeah, I mean, you had to go through two characters. I bet your other one would have been, had a little bit more aquatic spells. Yeah, she would have been able to do more as well in the water. Still, you made do with what you had. Uh, I think you guys handled that combat pretty well, and you had the assistance of Horus in that combat. Yes, Horus is back. But before we get into the episode, we have a group drink to drink. Uh, I'm going to bring it back to Emily. What what it, What is this? Who suggested it? Today, we are all drinking a Dugarita. This was suggested by... A bipolar Pop-Tart. It is a copycat of the Red Lobster Dugarita. So it, of course, has Mountain Dew in it. There's tequila, sweet and sour. Uh, we put a little bit of pineapple juice in there. And the, the Mountain Dew we used is their new pink, I believe it's melon flavored. Yeah, it's it's like watermelon. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we there's Midori in here as well, some more melon, and also a little bit of triple sec. The Alcohol ratio is pretty high, pretty yeah, strong. Yeah, I saw you pour it. It was kind of a gross amount of liquor. Yeah, if I'm being 100 percent honest. <laughs> Following the uh, the Red Lobster recipe, there it's uh, it's a strong one. Well, let's give it a shot, shall we? Let's do it. Let's do, the do it. Yeah, I mean, it tastes like a margarita. It's, mm-hmm. it's a little different than a margarita, but it. It's kind of there. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if uh, Bipolar is is secretly a Red Lobster shill, and he's trying to just get us to shout out that their new menu item is a Dugarita on air. How do you think Endless Shrimp works in the pandemic? 
Like, do they just keep door dashing it to you over and over and over again? That's something I haven't even thought to try. We might have to do that on the next Poseidon's Bounty, just see how far we could go with the endless shrimp. Because the, the issue then becomes that they don't have any way of watching you. Like, in, in the restaurant, they can watch you yeah. consume the shrimp. They have no way of watching you in your house and seeing that you're not just could have a whole putting all the shrimp in your fridge to save Family of four, yeah. Yeah, you can feed your whole family down. off a single... Wow. Single endless shrimp. So, what makes you think that red red lobster can't watch you in your home eat all of the endless shrimp? <laughs> yeah, maybe it comes with a brand representative that just watches. A brand representative, <laughs> oh. a mask, six stands six feet outside. I was gonna your say, door. I think I think the first DoorDasher who shows up uh, for your first serving hands you also a camera and says it must be active <laughs> oh, <laughs> the entire time. A, a, a body eating. cam. <laughs> Press this button if you need more cheddar biscuits. It's like the uh, the Amazon order button. Oh yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I need kitty litter, more shrimp, more shrimp. <laughs> Fantastic! Oh boy. Well, uh, does anyone have any particularly notable sidearms? I've got a sidearm. I think we're actually sharing a sidearm, Griff. We are. I'll be rolling into a Michelob Ultra Organic Seltzer Cucumber Lime. Uh, these are, I, I picked these up at the grocery store. There's cucumber lime, I think a peach pear and a spicy pineapple varietal in that box. And uh, they're all fine. Exciting. They're fine. I'm, I'm excited to really? try it. I've never yeah, tried yeah, it. I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. They're, the flavors are a little more understated than you'd think, considering that they're kind of exotic flavors for a seltzer. Um, but it's not, they're not offensive. They're good. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I I think this just means that we need to do a, a macros, because this is Michelob Ultra, a macros seltzer draft. We did that. I thought we yeah, did. you were there for uh, that. that. I thought we, didn't we did do the micro. mi- uh, micros. We specifically no. oh, said oh, oh, oh. multiple times. <laughs> All right, I was thinking the other <laughs> way around. Year. We'll see. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe, plenty, maybe they'll, plenty more. Maybe they'll get on the draft list instead of the double White Claw pack. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. My sidecar is an onsetter from Wolf's Ridge, an American stout. I, it's a very good stout, American stout. Look That's forward to it. Uh, my sidearm is uh, two Tums that I'll need later. Yeah, this is <laughs> exceedingly sour. And then um, probably happy whenever whenever we have our first uh, pee break of the episode that we cut out entirely. I'll probably go get like an actual sidearm, but for right now, Tums are the only thing that are necessary for this drink. I like that Haley, the editor, is calling out the pee breaks uh, yes. ahead of time and just, just as a reference so then they get left in this episode. No! We should start <laughs> leaving those in. No, I cut out all of the bullshit. There's some fans that would really like that. Nope. <laughs> Steve, take your mic. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Emily, got a sidearm? Uh, no, this margarita is going to be enough for me for this episode. It's a lot more liquid than I actually thought when it's I carried terrible. it up here. It was really full in the margarita glass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get the same sidearm as Steve, and with that, we need to roll off. However, we did that off air. I lost with a natural three, so I'll be drinking on 131. When last we met our heroes, they had helped save Horace Kroon on his ship, but were 
besieged by an octopus, a giant lake octopus that attacked both sides of the party with its huge 30-foot reach. However, with some carefully placed bombs and some, I mean, Air Bear almost got like a four-round attack in one time that episode, uh, the octopus was defeated. And that's where we find our heroes. The ship is lashed to the dock on this lonely K. What are you doing? Untangle myself from a dead tentacle. Yep. It's a good place to Smart. start. Yeah, Eclipse will go land on the boat uh, by Horace and just verify that everything is properly tied off and stable and ask if he needs any help. Freya's going to walk to the edge of the water because uh, she at the end there, wasn't able to be grabbed by the tentacles and uh, she'll wait and offer a hand to help everybody up onto the shore. And Air Bear definitely needs it because this dock is probably a bit too tall for him to climb up all by himself. And as you do, the hand wraps are soggy as you grab his hands to pull him up. He falls back in the water. Detach. The hand decided to detach itself. Air Bear's the kid that leaves all the stray bandages floating in the pool. Oh, oh no. That's the worst. So you all gather together on the dock. The boat is uh, correctly lashed off. And you do notice now that you actually have some time to breathe that on the boat there are several uh, large tarp-covered objects. Horace would kind of step down from the ensign glass. Well, long time no see. Thank you so much for um, not only helping me get get my ship and subsequently my inventions safe to shore, but also fighting off that terrible creature. I haven't haven't seen an octopus that large in quite some time. Yes, that was quite the aquatic beast. And if I may, I'd like to introduce my friends, Freya and Herbert. Uh Freya, Herbert, this is Horace Kroon. Uh, Eclipse and I met him uh, several months ago at Professor Lorimore's funeral. Good friend of the professor from another time. It's a pleasure to meet you. I'm glad we were able to help each other. That was mighty difficult. It is thankful, uh, or I am thankful that uh, you at least know this man and we put ourselves in as much danger for him. Otherwise, I don't know if I would have necessarily jumped in quite so eagerly. Mr. Kroon, what happened? You were all alone on your boat. Mm. Uh, Ill to be sure. I I set off. Um, I I actually live in a um, a little bit outside of town, outside of Ilmarsh. I do a lot of uh, a lot of my research, a lot of studying uh, on the lake in the bay, and I tried to hire some some of the fishermen in town to uh, to work the ship while I operated uh, my my inventions and 
storms started sweeping in. I was out by the turn rocks, um, trying to, I, I actually, it, it's funny, I ran into to the two of you, uh, Matumbe and Eclipse. I, I finally was able to com- complete my uh, submersible device that uh, Professor Lorimore and I had worked on uh, for some time, and, and the changes he made to the schematics I was able to put into place and, and utilize, so I was, I was trying to take it for a test run by the turn rocks, and um, storm came in. Those Ilmarshers dove right off the ship, swam to shore, leaving me, obviously, in the, at the mercy of the waves and the wind. Where did you say you were at when these people jumped off the boat and swam to shore? You see out there those rocks? And he points and you do see the uh, the same rocks that you had noticed uh, this morning out out in the distance uh, in the water. Out in the water. And, and honestly, they're kind of difficult to see. At their highest point, it looks like from where you are, they might stand about 10 feet off the surface of the water and I you know especially with these heavy waves that point seems to fluctuate from like 15 feet to 5 feet like these these swells are kind of cresting over the rocks got it and how far off the coast are they uh it looks like it's about a quarter mile off the coast it's a long look it would be a long swim Mr. Kroon, may I be so bold as to ask what was the nature of your research? You and Professor Lorimore were trying to perfect a submersible device. You were, I I imagine, trying to research something under the waves. Well, the, the first point of order was to get one of my inventions to, to work properly, to, to actually get underneath the water. We weren't able to complete much research on what goes on at the, in the depths of Lake Incarthen without a working submersible device. And that's actually why um, Petros and I came into contact. That's why we, um, you know, I, I'm a tinkerer by trade. I, I invent things. And he came to me hoping that I could help him uh, develop such a device. Uh, but now that he's passed, there's still mysteries at the bottom of the lake that I think are worth finding out, worth uh, worth investigating at least. Uh, things wash up, especially in Ilmarsh, of great value, of um, artifacts, things, things of that nature. So with my device, we, we have the ability to potentially get to the bottom of the lake, at least in some areas. Uh, the, the turn rocks have always been, um, well, they've always been kind of a, a special site for the ill marshers. They, they hold the area in high regard. I'm not entirely sure why, but you'd think that you know, following an outcropping of rock that juts out of the water all the way down, there might be at least some interesting um, 
flora and fauna clinging to the rock. We've seen some mighty big shadows in the water and have now faced a very strong, large octopus. Can your submarine protect itself against creatures such as this? It is played it well. It's it's just a prototype, however. Um, it can't propel itself within the water, which is why we utilize the insing glass to... It, it has a winch that I've designed to be operated by one person um, and, and an air pump, so it can... It, it's less a... It, it has to connect to the surface to be used. So I would think you're at a little bit less of a risk going straight down and not really exploring. Um, but you have to kind of pick the spot to go down. So I, I, I just thought that the turn rocks would be a good place to test it. Because you're, if you think about going straight down, there are threats on all sides, but if you go down against the rock outcropping, you can only really get attacked from one direction. That is mighty tactical. So when exactly did the Elmarshers jump off the ship? Once the once the storm really started brewing, once the wind picked up. It, it took me a while to to wrangle the ship as close as I did to to U4 and to the K, uh, but a while ago, about you know, you saw when the storm rolled in. It's about twenty minutes ago that they would have jumped off. Yeah, I, I wasn't worried about timing. I was more worried about like what would have made them jump off. I understand there was a storm, but like that's not usually. What causes sailors to jump off and go into the actual water? It seems more dangerous <laughs> to jump off yeah. the storm. I, I Actually, I mean, even if they were able to swim very well, that's a long swim to just choose choose not to use a boat. So why why do you think they would jump off? Well, first off, they're untrustworthy. Uh, when you pay them to do a job, apparently they don't do it. Um. But realistically, it's easier to, well, it's probably easier for them to swim the distance than it is to sail. Um, that's not normal for most people. Why them? I mean, these people have grown up next to these waters their entire lives. They swim almost as well as fish. I've known ill marshers to hold their breath eight times longer than the normal person. Interesting. Quite interesting indeed. Could you say that it was exactly eight times? Maybe mechanically? I didn't, um, I didn't pull up my core rule book to check. (laughs) (laughs) Very well. Hmm. Well, if if you didn't pull up your core rulebook, uh, Matumbe goes over to one of the tarps and uh, takes it off, and clearly there's the entire Paisa library there. <laughs> uh, lots, if, lots he does, if he does go up to a tarp, uh, he could pull it off, and he does see what looks like, a again, a heavily plated um, submersible device. This one has fins, looks 
kind of like a large fish. That's really cool. And it's got kind of portholes to see out. If you look into that, it looks like it probably comfortably fits two normal-sized people, but you could probably squeeze people into it. Um, Small? That's what I mean. Like, normal-sized people would be, in Matumbe's opinion, like a medium-sized creature. <laughs> nice. So it could fit two people or our party, which is uh, one grossly uh, huge man and then three very tiny people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you think, you think, like, if you were to try and put more than two medium-sized people in there, you could do it, but they'd all be squeezing in there okay. a little bit. There's, um... But we probably want Horus in there as well because it's his machine. Well, I would think. someone has to operate the top. Yeah. yeah. Hypothetically, if we ever use yeah. it. I, I, the imagery of this machine reminds me of a certain movie that we recently watched that was pretty shark like. <laughs> and I was thinking the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but sure. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, Shark Boy uh, really. <laughs> brought out a, a great, great, uh, both flying and swimming. Lots of really cool nautical Machine. stuff in there. Um, can I roll a knowledge engineering check? Is that even a check that I can make here? Just to like kind of get an idea of what this submersible could do? Or yep. yeah, okay. sure. I got that. Yeah, Eclipse will also walk over and she'll uh, look at it and she will aid you. Sweet. Yeah, aid for sure. Oh, this is going to be a good one. Do I have two aids on that? Yeah, I'm in auto aid. Correct. Wonderful. That's going to be uh, 39. Oh, yeah. With a 39, you get a pretty good grasp on what this thing could do. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think you're studying it, and Horace would kind of come up to you and, as you're, like, looking at pieces, like, explain them as well, because it is a, a very unique invention of his design. But you would know that it... It has thick plating. It has these portholes. Um, it looks like there's some sort of ever-burning torch inside of it that can be, you know, dimmed or lit, mm -hmm. which allows you to see around the cabin. But you'd think that if you wanted to see what was going on outside, if the water was dark, you'd probably have to dim it to get a constant light level. Yeah. Um, you do see that it has like a porthole at the bottom that seems to stay. Like you could. You could, if you lower it while it um, while it's open, mm -hmm. it does that kind of water bubble effect, where it's it stays open. Oh, it so can you, stay you, open. So are is are, let me let me repeat that back to you to make sure I'm understanding this correctly. So it has like an opening at the bottom where you could go into and out of the submersible while you're underwater. Yep, exactly. Oh, I, I love when I see that in movies. Um, That's just cool. Further, it it looks like it's it's fed by a winch mm -hmm. and it's meant to sink so it it doesn't float on its own it's pulled up by by a lever which Horace would describe to you as like you know one of the last touches he had to put on it so that it can be operated by one person so so wait does it not have its own propulsion mm -mm. Uh, it just sinks like a rock yeah it sinks okay um for now it looks it does look like Horace is working on like fins and stuff on it which is why it kind of resembles a fish, but it doesn't seem like it at this point could, you know, trawl along the bottom. It seemed, it, which which was why he was saying he wanted to take it down on the turn rocks because you had that one 
wall of rock and it could go all the way down. It looks like it's fed by a pretty thick air hose. Mm-hmm. And Horace would mention to you that while you're in it, you probably have enough air for about 30 minutes if there's four people inside, um, which, you know, he's kind of looking at your group when he's talking about it. And that he he can only operate the winch or the air pump. But there is an air pump. And so periodically he would have to stop you. If, if it takes too long to descend, he'd have to stop you and pump the air in to give you fresh air. But he can he can obviously give you fresh air at any point. He can pump fresh air in at any point. But So it has 30 minutes of air, but then that could be refreshed if he uses the pump? Absolutely. Yeah, cool. That's okay. exactly... Uh, what he says, and and he he would also explain his winch mechanism. It seems like it takes it takes at least double the time to pull it up as it does to just let it sink, because obviously it's fighting its own sink, its own weight. But yeah, that's that's what you get from that check, and with Horace kind of talking about it with you. Awesome. Yeah, we probably won't ever end up using that, so. Yeah, it's a lot of details for it to never be used. I, I was also I was also questioning, um, you know, the, I guess the the publishing space. A lot of publishers are like, oh, we're always tight on space. We can't leave all these like super superfluous details in here. And uh, this book just mm-hmm. schematics and plans on <laughs> on uh, submersibles, and they never expect you to use it. Yeah, I, get- I, wrote, I wrote that all down. I'm planning as soon as we get done recording, I'm going to rip this page out of my notes and throw it in the trash. Yeah, that's nice. A good idea. Nice. Perfect. When we get into town, I'm going to ask for the architect uh, drawings. Oh, yeah. Of yeah, the buildings. The, yeah, the town architect is actually a labeled spot as well. Cool. You can go to to get most of the schematics for the town buildings. Um, a pretty common occurrence in Paizo books, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think, though, after he explains all of this, Eclipse will speak up. And she will say, well, Horace, this has been fantastic running into you. Glad we've saved you. And uh, thanks for the educational lesson. I I truly hope that I get to see more of your inventions in the future. But unless you need other help, we we have an urgent task ahead of ourselves. Mm, urgent in Ilmarsh? Yes, and I've been told that is unfortunate that it is in Ilmarsh. Um, uh, out of curiosity, but maybe I can help. What brings you here? We're looking for a dark rider who went through Thrushmore and exchanged their horses, split up, and one of them headed straight towards here. We believe they're working with the Whispering Way. Oh, a dark rider did come to town days ago now, but I've been out here um, doing my research by the K. Most most days, I haven't seen a rider return along the path. Uh, Matumbe's ears uh, perk up a little bit. Are you insinuating the dark rider may still be in town? I probably suspect it, honestly. I, I mean, if it's possible that I missed them if they came back out, but I did notice them ride in and honestly, this road is pretty visible from the turn rocks. I didn't see anybody coming back. Uh, Matume looks to the rest of the party. 
I mean, I feel like we can talk more about things with Horus on the way, but if the Dark Rider is in town, we must make all haste to Ilmash. We are fighting against a clock here. Yes! That certainly makes sense. There's only one path in and one out. The, the path in and the path out are the same, so they did not ride out. It is likely that they are still here. Well, I try not to... You know, my home is a little bit outside of Ilmarsh. With the behavior they've shown today and lately, I... I'm happy to help you, but I don't know that I want to go into town right now. Is the reason why you are living outside of town uh, because of the smell? <laughs> you do notice distinctly that Horace does not smell like fishy or damp. Oh, or, but old man smell. He does smell like an old man, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he actually smells more like... Um, like alchemical reagents. He smells like the kind of the things he would use to put together his bombs. So he probably has a hint of black powder about him, uh, as well as just like grease. He's wearing an apron oh, and that nice. kind of thing. So sexy old man. Uh, <laughs> I, I'd say, um, Whatever I'm, gonna regret, I'm gonna regret saying this, but I'd say handy old man. Mm. It's more like it. <laughs> I notice I didn't say handsy. I said handy. I know what you meant. Stigly different. So, you guys want to head into Ilmarsh. Horace will bid you farewell, but also kind of say, "Listen, they they don't take very kindly to outsiders, which is why I live outside of the city limits. They don't seem to trust me." Uh, very much, and I've lived here for years. So, it'll be slow going. If you ever need anything, come back out to this K. This is where I moor the Insing Glass, and where I do a lot of my tinkering now that my um, inventions are on board, but my house is to the north of... Ilmarsh. You'll find me in one of the two places. Uh, it's hard to miss. It's on the outskirts. I appreciate running into you, and I appreciate all the all that you've done for me, saving me here. I'm happy to help in any way that I can. Unfortunately, I've been so busy with <laughs> my tinkering that I I don't really know any of the gossip around town uh, what happened to that dark rider I don't know do you know where he may be staying or where he showed up in town uh, there's only one inn in town it's a small town um, the bountiful catch inn that's where uh, that's where outsiders stay and they don't usually stay for long <laughs> whole place smells like fish uh, even the sheets I've heard I once know, knew a girl who would be very into that sort of thing. Well, I'm hoping we will not need to call on you, Horace, but... Well, maybe you'll find her there. Oh, she's long past. I actually think she was from here. She didn't smell too fishy, though. 
maybe she was saved. Early enough, it didn't quite catch on to her. Are you talking about your old companion, Lyra? The news has not reached you yet. Lyra has fallen in our quest against the Whispering Way. Yes, she is the one I refer to. That's such a shame. I, uh, Petros always spoke fondly of her. Um, she and I didn't share a... I, I moved to Ilmarsh after... Um, after she had left. Um, and I only ever heard murmurings of, of what, whatever happened while she was here. Petros didn't seem to want to bring it up to the girl. Strange things do happen in Ilmarsh. What didn't he want to bring up? Just... Whatever had happened to her that caused him and his friends to to take her out of this place. Be careful. It's... Whatever is going on with the with the locals is their business, but it could be dangerous. I don't think she's at peace wherever she is. If you hear anything, keep note of it. We'd like to know. Yeah. Well, I can't imagine why you would really care about that, but... Really, why would this professor have such an interest in this area? Who knows? Uh, it's... It's... Maybe more than academic. He always spoke to me about his academic interest in what was going on at the bottom of the lake and this was one of the best places to to go on expeditions down there that's how we interacted that's how we became friends whatever happened before that whatever happened between him and Mikhail and and Lyra I, I don't I don't know. He didn't share it with me. He didn't... The only thing I do know is he told me not to move into town. That's why I live on the outskirts. That's why I live outside of Ilmarsh. He told me not to... Not to meddle with the affairs of the locals. Hmm. That's interesting. Because I think what we're about to do is to directly meddle with the affairs of the locals. I'm a little concerned for ourselves. Well, I'm your friend. I can help you fuck shit up if you need me to. I may be old. We got some saggy old bombs. (laughs) That (sighs) to me very much. (laughs) Well, farewell, friends. Again, I'm. I'm always happy to hear from you if you find some things out. Need a sounding board or need help? Need somebody that can deal area of effect damage? (laughs) On that note, I'm sure our paths have not crossed for the last time, Mr. (laughs) Croon. 
And he would he would kind of get back on his boat now that it's moored and and continue tinkering. And I'm going to go ahead and unmoor it and get my magic rope back so he can deal with that situation. That's fine. He can obviously moor it with real rope. Oh, good. I'll take my silk rope, too. And it bashes against the dock, and we have no way of transporting the submersible. Lindsay Glass sinks, submersible sinks to the bottom. Good luck. <laughs> Good thing it wasn't plot relevant. That's why, uh, you know, Paizo actually says, like, if, you're, if your party unties it with the magical rope they found in book one, uh, it smashes against the dock, <laughs> sinking it, losing them access to the submersible. Don't worry, it's bound to happen, so you won't ever have to talk about the thing again. That's what they said. It's in bold and wow. uh, on page 46. We should have done an engineering check on the <laughs> boat to make sure it wasn't going to hit Make the sure dock. it wouldn't hit docks. Mm. I mean, if you had done that, you would have seen that he wasn't using <laughs> those, like, those bounce things that boats have, the, the little bouncy buoys that they yeah. put on the side. So, yeah, you, you would see that he wasn't using those, and, and that just spells disaster, unfortunately. <laughs> we, we probably you you actually know that, because in the combat you tied it off and you didn't deploy yeah. the, the protection buoys. I did not have that action economy. I was too busy. Listen. Yeah, we probably didn't see the, the holes in the hull either. <laughs> Listen, it was kill giant octopus or deploy protection buoys, and you guys chose wrong. Yep. <laughs> it's not my fault. It's just how the, gonna come back how the adventure comes. <laughs> how the adventure's written. Um... So you head down the soggy road to Ilmarsh, and the smell of a day's catch starts to catch up to you. It's about two, three hours before you make it on foot to town. As you approach, you see that Ilmarsh is a small settlement. There are several large buildings that look like they're used for more than residential purposes. And a couple of docks that have some boats tied to them. But all in all, there can't be more than like a hundred-ish people that live here. You approach from the east. And as you enter town, you enter town square. Uh, Lying at the center of town... Just east of the wharves, this square is fronted by the town hall, the Bountiful Catch Inn, and the Order of the Indomitable Sea Hall. These are the things that you see um, around you in town hall. There's a bronze statue uh, that stands on a plinth in the center of the square, and it depicts a sea captain wearing a rain slicker standing at a ship's wheel and staring steely-eyed at the coming storm, and it's actually facing the water. If you go up to the plaque, it reads, Cassius and Diomede, First Lord of Ilmarsh. I don't know if he's nobility, but I got a knowledge nobility or local, maybe? Does uh, he a little could, bit more? You certainly give me a nobility. Okay. All right, I will try to aid. So I got an aid? All right. It'd be a 42. 42. That's actually quite a lot. You know, Cassius Undiomede was the uh, actual first lord of his family name. And he was actually a smuggler. He was a smuggler that was very profitable and ended up being granted a lordship by the county Versex. Um because it was more profitable for the county to grant him a lordship and lands and collect taxes on the stuff that he smuggled than allow him to continue smuggling. Huh. 
That's awesome. <laughs> he uh, so he was the he was the first lord of Ilmarsh at the time, uh, and you know this because you know the history of him. Uh, Ilmarsh was called Baytown, and it was really this tiny settlement where he could continue his smuggling operations and and by lordship have those smuggling operations become somewhat legitimate. You know that since he took control and formed this settlement, the the town of Ilmarsh has been very profitable. They didn't need to install, like like in Thrushmore, they didn't need to install a mayor because they had the Endiomede family, mm-hmm. and they always paid their taxes, and they always made bountiful profits on uh, what was what was in Lake and Carthen. They they. Um, from what they smuggled and from what they caught in the lake, they um, they made the county a ton of money, so the county left them alone. Okay. Uh, Cassius became the lord uh, just under 300 years ago, and you know the family line died out. And so now you assume there probably is an appointed official like in Thrushmore. So these goods that like wash up onto shore are they just smuggled goods then or there are things that like truly like come to the the beaches that would be something uh matumbe wouldn't know okay there there have been record of like hey this is super profitable where do they get all this stuff from and because of cassius's record as a smuggler Mm. you would tend to think that it's just a I found this in the lake, uh, mm-hmm. kind of situation. Uh, that that <laughs> the the count of Versex kind of just allowed to happen because he was getting paid taxes off of the stuff, so he was getting a cut of the stuff. Mm-hmm. So he was just kind of like, call it whatever you want. I don't care. You're a lord. <laughs> right, right. Like that crate of multiple bags of white powder that I he found, just found, in found in the, the street. Found yeah, in the just. Lake. This washed up on shore. Don't worry, <laughs> officer. Or all those PS5s you found, Brooks. That's right. That's right. I, I mean, Matumbe's going to relay that to the party, but I mean, I mean, frankly, besides a little historical context, I don't know that that really has much bearing on what's going on. So we'll just kind of mention it. I don't know if there's any need for back and forth on there. Um, so, I feel like it's time to go to the inn. Sure, yeah. So if you're sitting in the center of town square, which I've brought up on the map... To the direct north is the Bountiful Catch Inn. To the direct east is Town Hall. To the direct south is the Order of the Indomitable Sea Hall, uh, which looks on a passing glance to be like a Church of Gazra. And then to the direct west, you see what appears to be a bar and a general store. The bar has a faded sign uh, that depicts a squid-like beast with wide, silvery eyes. It's called the Wall-Eyed Kraken. And the general store is just um, Breckage's knickknacks. Before we go much further, is there some sort of... I don't know. Do we want to make it clear that we are following this rider. I I don't know if that might well spread the word 
and allow him to escape. The Dark Rider had allies in the previous town. I bet there are allies here too. It might be a good idea to keep it secret until we know we can trust someone. If we can trust anyone in this town. A slow burn approach may be the best. Rent a room at the inn, spend time at the bar, just see what we can see and learn what we can learn before making a move. Why? What will we tell the people why we are here? I, I feel that they might figure it out sooner rather than later if we merely just don't say anything. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that at all. I don't know either. Why I just think that we <laughs> should. We okay. could maybe say that we're here to assist Horace in his experiments research. and yeah. research. Yeah, and Way better than my plan. If he doesn't have like a huge house, it would be an awful lot to host for people. So mm-hmm. we could just be staying in town uh, while assisting Horace. Especially since uh, they know he is now shorthanded. I'm into that. Yeah. And Horace could... I mean, if we... I know we don't necessarily want to go all the way back to tell Horace that that is our disguise, but... I mean, he's an alchemist. He he's could. got like 20 intelligence. I'm sure he can figure it out. And we did already help him, so I feel like... I think if somebody asks about his assistance, he's going to connect A and B together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this he all makes sense. He warned you about this it. Tracks. He warned you about like coming in and how they were going to be shitty to you. All right, so if we go to the inn, let's do it. Before we go into the inn, I think we should refrain from helping any persons that may have a broken wagon wheel. You know, just past practices. God damn it. God damn it, Paizo. Why'd you write in four wagon wheel encounters into this book? How my my players have caught on Never to my wagon wheel. Never help an elderly man in need. It's like they never learned. They wrote this in 2011. How many times can you rock somebody like a wagon wheel? Oh, mama. Yeah, really. So you guys head into the inn? Yes. So this once fine two-story structure is the town's only inn, and its warped boards and missing shingles show its age and surrender to the elements. The sign above the door depicts a fisherman hauling in a net full of fish and a curvaceous mermaid with a knowing smile on her lips. Uh, do, Do they provide artwork of that? They don't, but I can send you some pictures of curvy driftwood if you want. All right. (laughs) So it's a tavern downstairs, and the innkeeper is shuffling about. It doesn't look like he's overly busy. He's just performing busy work. Uh, He looks up and scowls when he sees a party of Mostly non-humans coming into the, 
into the tavern, and he clearly knows you're all outsiders. Mm, what can I do you for? We would like a place to stay the night. Oh. Yes, we're at an inn. What business do you have in Ilmarsh? Ah, we are helping our friend Horace, who lives outside of town. <laughs> Croon the Crackpot? I didn't know he had a nickname. Everybody around town knows Croon the Crackpot. You trust everything he says, don't you? You're working for him. Well, we were hired by the man. Very uh, recent. Let's see if he pays you. I may not trust his words. He seems a little crackpot-ish, but I do trust his coin. And I take out my coin purse and jingle my 179 gold pieces. <laughs> mm. That's more than Kroon makes in a decade. I mean, he's been around a long time. It suppose, adds up. suppose you might be right. He needs an awful lot of help. We are the best. Well, I can't argue on the help part, but on the, the best part, <laughs> I doubt it if you ended up here helping croon the crackpot. Anyway, name's Rube Dreely. Uh, pleasure, I guess. I've got uh, three open rooms. There'll be three gold a night if you want to stay. I think we can manage that. But well, I hope with that huge salary you show me that <laughs> Kroon's paying you, apparently. We are rolling in dinero. <laughs> That's not a word used in this fantasy setting, but <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, um, I can show you up to your rooms. Uh, how, how many are you renting? Is it two and two? Are you renting three and one of you is going to double up? Usually it's two and two. Yeah, I think we can fit in two rooms. Mm. Two rooms it is. Yeah, and I would like to know more about why you think he's a crackpot because this is a this is our this is our first job with him. Interesting. Um, I mean, it's well known. He's just out there tinkering with shit, and you know, if you take a job with Croon. Chances of the whole ship blowing up are pretty high. Has that happened before? How many days since the last ship explosion? And he pulls out a chalk. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't oh, rightly tell you how many days it's been. I I don't work for him. I work here, but uh, yeah, the fisherman down to set. <laughs> Occasionally, is one of his inventions a malfunction out on the water. Fortunately, they get back uh, before, before something terrible can happen. So he's a crackpot just because of his inventions? He's a crackpot because he makes inventions that don't work. Ah, well, great. We Maybe we can help some of that. So I don't know how long we'll be staying because we don't know, you know, how many inventions... He needs help with. Well, I'll give you a one night discount if you want to stay the week. Yeah. That a couple proprietors pay for the week. Do you give have them all the same discount? Uh, do you have that often? Because honestly, I heard that not a lot of people come to Ilmarsh. 
Uh, you would notice as he walked you up to your room that he has six rooms and only the three are open. So interesting. Mm, apparently, there are people staying here. Okay. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I have one in. I'm running in. It stays open. So I suppose I, I at least make a modest living. Not like you guys getting paid the boku bucks from crewing the crackpot. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> <laughs> Might have to charge y'all 30 gold and I. Uh, no, we already have an agreed upon price. And I believe Matumbe would be able to tell you that that's an unethical business practice. I would sleep in the streets before I paid 30 gold tonight <laughs> for an inn. This man is about the business. The Better Business Bureau doesn't operate here. <laughs> right? We're too far out of jurisdiction. <laughs> Nobody wants to come down. Are the you not road. under the principality of Versex County? <laughs> we are indeed, but they only come down to collect taxes. <laughs> and honestly, we send riders out to them hold to pay the taxes. yourself to a higher code of business. I have no ethics. I don't have a business <laughs> ethics team. Matumbe, Matumbe, it's fine. Let him be. He's going to let us stay at the inn for three golds. A night. We'll see if it changes tomorrow. I spent the around a bane. Surge. It's surge pricing. <laughs> now that all my rooms are booked, surge pricing. <laughs> we left you one room. Yeah, but I already need one room for my private business. So technically, you could only take five of the rooms. Technically, only five rooms are available. I take the six for my private business that I do. Oh, dear. This man. Do not call the business bureau. I do what I want in that third room. In that sixth room, that's my, my time. Why did you call the bureau? Why, why did I even offer? <laughs> I mean, you don't want me doing what I do privately in the kitchen in the back, but I could do it for the right price. Can we rent the sixth room just for... I mean, if you want to make really inconvenience then it'll be five gold a night for that sixth room. No, 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 Air Bear. Uh, we're, su we're supposed to be nice. <laughs> wow, I'm getting a real hankering for <laughs> calling the sheriff on you assholes. That won't be necessary. You're threatening me with a business bureau. You're threatening me with the county of Versix. You're trying to get in my private business. <laughs> You come in here all confrontational like I'm supposed to enjoy outsiders already. Anyway, go on with what you were saying, dwarf lady. What? None of that will be necessary. You can trust us to be quiet, calm guests. Very respectful. <laughs> well, the way you come in. in, I do not trust a single thing. But you're, you are an innkeeper and an inn-owner... Don't you like outsiders? Normally, I would say yes, but my mother named me Rube. <laughs> Rube Dreely. That's my that's my God given God's given name is Rube Dreely in the book. Look it up. I was named Rube by my parents, so <laughs> that makes me I'm, hate I'm, a, I'm especially cognizant of getting the wool pulled over my eyes because I started life named Rube. Your parents really set you up for that one. No, they, you know, they, they instilled in me a practice of double checking when I should have, because when you're named Rube, you have to double check every scenario. Otherwise, people are just going to be like, classic Rube. What a Rube. 
You gotta, you gotta make sure you don't get. Well, Rube, I'm really sorry about your upbringing, but thank you very much for listen. Listen, everything here smells like fish. All right, you think you know? Hey, does he also smell like? He fish? He smells like fish. <laughs> the sheets in your room smell like fish. What does he do in the third room? If he can smell it, it must be really bad. It it is very interesting that he smells his own (laughs) smell. Because then you know it's really a good bad. point. Yeah, I thought it was just because I'm named Rube that everybody was trying to pull the wool over my eyes and say that they got used to the smell. But I have never gotten used to the smell. <laughs> it, it always smells like so. People say that nose blindness is a thing, but I don't believe it because I smell the town the whole time. I can smell the sheets. You don't think I wash those things? I wash them all the time. They still smell like fish. This is an interesting <laughs> thing. Like, I don't even know what to do. <laughs> All right, Rube, uh, however long we're staying, we're going to stay twice that. (laughs) All right, I'll give you a tangle discount for two weeks. Two weeks up front. Fucking sold. That's a great deal. deal. (laughs) The businessman over here, of course. So we'll pay him, and then um, as he probably walks out on another rant, we're going to go into our room. I'm gonna go get get a beer for myself. I've had done dealing with customers. I gotta do time for private business. <laughs> I'm calling it. It's time for private business. I, I will that. see the lot of you later. He, he we'll goes, see you he, all the time. He goes into the sixth room and slams the door. <laughs> the door. I'm really excited to uh, see this character for every meal. Hi, it's me, Rube. Here's your chicken that you ordered. You ordered chicken in a fishing town. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, he does. He slams the door into the sixth room, and you hear him, like, muttering behind the door. Um. After all of that, I'm not sure what else we'd do besides go in the rooms and maybe... I don't know. Either rest or, or or drop off some of our non-essentials and then leave and go in the town. What time of day is it? Oh, good question. It was morning when you uh, rescued Horace. It's like one o'clock in the afternoon. So drop some stuff and maybe, I don't know, hit the tavern or something. Yeah. What's going on over there? Drop only non-essentials. Yeah. Well, uh, in this inn, is there like a... A common room to eat or yeah, sit that's like the chat. first floor. So the second floor was is is where like all of your living quarters are. The first floor is kind of its own tavern, like most inns are. They're like a eating and bar establishment on the first floor, and then living quarters upstairs. So you go downstairs. There's a bell on the on the counter. There's a couple patrons, not many though. It, it actually looks pretty empty. Do the people there look like outsiders, or do they look like they're from Ilmarsh? A dark uh, rider, specifically? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like there's a table full of dark riders. <laughs> <laughs> what you see is two farmers, and they're talking to each other at a table. That's literally it. Okay. Uh, you can tell they're farmers just by their getup. They don't look like they're like the normal fisherman of this town. You can make me a knowledge local check if you want. I do want to know what they are farming. 
other than fish because they're not fishermen. I think irrespective Maybe. of this this knowledge local check, I think the 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 plan should probably be to spend some time at the bar and then maybe if we don't find any good leads or the dark riders aren't there or whatever come back here around like dinner time and then spend like the evening on this first floor and seeing if anybody comes back after like a day of work or exploring or whatever the dark rider might be doing today but i'm gonna roll, roll knowledge local i think there was also like a i don't know museum like place oh yeah that's or, right uh, i got a 33 Nice. That, that would be a good place to check out too, yeah. Yeah, 33, you think that, hey, it kind of makes sense that there'd be farmers here because obviously this town can't produce its own produce. So you think maybe it's farmers are staying at this inn as they peddle their their wares. Hmm. Oh, that makes sense. Square fruit. Yeah, yeah, one of the guys has a square-shaped bulge in his pocket. Do you go up and talk to him? That is the thickest wallet I've ever seen. Actually, <laughs> it's a golden delicious apple. Okay, let's go to the tavern. <laughs> we have not has heard the end of this. All right, but if these guys are from out of town and they're not the, the cold rider or the dark riders, I don't know what I would want to talk to them about. Right. Sure. So, you head from the Bountiful Catch Inn, and it's just, you know, right right down the way, still in the main town square, uh, to the Walleye Kraken. I appreciate that name, Paiso. Walleye is a fantastic fish. Normally known for how deep it resides especially half of drop-offs yeah let's keep talking about walleyes instead of <laughs> hit us with a couple more walleye facts <laughs> and then we'll be, as interesting we'll, as it'll, it'll be a good time to get us with the uh, finish your drinks we'll see you next time <laughs> <laughs> i recommend leeches for bait so anyway you enter the tavern uh, and it is it is a little more bustling than the prior tavern it's certainly yeah you hear that bass beat <laughs> as you as you walk in you hear the bass beat and there's a lot of fishermen in here <laughs> and um, you see a pale skinned woman that's serving drinks to these uh, fisher folk but it's the middle of the day so it's not it's not like crazy in here there's just a couple of people drinking and the bartender uh, serving folks. What do you do? Again, do we see any people that look like they might be outsiders? Make a perception check. Okay, I yeah. I think that's the first time I actually rolled this episode. 19. 18. 22. 43. Jeez. All right, no. well, I, I got natural 20s. So. <laughs> there don't appear to be any outsiders in here. This looks like uh, it's all townsfolk. You can actually tell with those perception checks that the people are eyeing you up. Got it. Is this about the time that Fisher folk would like, come back into town after the catch? No, it's the not day? about that time. That's why it's not super full. Okay. okay. 
So then, uh, with all of that in mind, Eclipse is going to walk up to the bar and ask what the local special is. Well, hey there, sweetie. Hello. Yeah. What are you? What are you trying to? What are you trying to drink? Uh, what? What is the specialty of Ilmarsh? <laughs> Why, it's grog, of course. I'll have that. You want a grog? You, you, your friends want grogs? One, please. Yeah, One round two for grog. us all. Red I would grog, like a water. <laughs> water. Do not drink alcohol. I'll give it a try. You give grog a try? All right, three grogs, one water. Coming right up, sweetness. Guys, I really thought it'd be some sort of seawater drink like Lyra drank all the time. I was just curious. Yeah. I was going to have a whole toast to her and everything. She brings the uh, drinks back. Uh, Matumbe takes a sip of his water. It does taste... No, this is on a lake, so it's fresh water. I was going to drink it to be polite. Well, just holler if you need me Need me for anything. Okay. I think we should uh, find either a table or an area not too far out of the population and sit and observe a little bit and see if we hear anything. Everyone's probably hush-hush because we're outsiders, but if they see us all trying to blend, I was hoping that maybe they could loosen up a little bit. And so I'm wondering if after we sit and maybe we're halfway through our, our grogs, do they... React any differently, or are they still like real cagey? Sure. You um, you go over and sit. You're drinking your grogs, um, and you notice group by group the people that were drinking here file out of the building. Wow, so that is not uh, not at all like a small town. Everyone like knows the bar, and then they see outsiders come in. Everyone goes silent, and then they order a drink, and then like everyone goes about their business later. This was like a, oh, you're in here? All right, fuck off. I'm out of here. Uh, you also see the bartender as people are leaving. She just kind of shakes her head. She knocks back a shot, and she just starts kind of rubbing down some glasses she would call over to you guys after a while well I hope you're uh, you're paying customers because it looks like you uh, you drove all my clientele out of the building is that normal um unfortunately since the inn also serves alcohol and we're you know two buildings apart usually when outsiders are in one of these buildings. We don't get outsiders very frequently, but when they come and they want to drink, usually the town folk don't really want no part of it. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, we were just trying to sp- spread the services across multiple business owners and, you know, help support the local economy. I guess now I'm hurting it. Yeah, I suppose, um... Suppose you're really hurting my business today, but uh, hopefully, uh, you know, you still buy a couple more drinks, and maybe I can recoup some of that. And she she cracks open a beer for herself and starts drinking it. Miss Barkey, is this something that happens frequently here, where outsiders come in and disrupt the entire local economy? No, no, we we almost never get uh, we almost never get outsiders. So uh, on the on the few occasions that it happens uh, you know 
Really? You never get outsiders? But the innkeeper said he has no problem keeping his inn afloat, and he only had half of his rooms available. Well, you know, the local farmers, we don't really treat them like outsiders. They, they provide a vital business, and we've known them for years. They tend to keep, uh, keep old Rube afloat, you know? Uh, they... They buy a room almost weekly. Uh, one group of them's coming in. Oh, is, is that all who's here this week? For some farmers and us? I mean, she pours herself another shot. Are you buying? Yeah. She takes it. Roll me a diplomacy. <clears throat> Can I aid? I was talking. I'd like to aid. Yeah. And then I will say, well, you don't have to worry for too long. We are here to support uh, who did uh, what does they call him? Uh, the crazy horse? Oh, Karina Crackpot. Yeah. Oh, yes, that's, that's the one. Sweet man. I met him a couple times. I, I ate it. I do. Okay, okay. 33. Hell yeah. I got 16. All right, sweetness, why don't you all come up to the bar? We can, have a, we can have a chat. Maybe I can give you all around for free if you're willing to buy the rest of y'all drinks. One thing I'd ask before we start uh, start getting down to brass taxes, if y'all could finish your drinks, then we'll see you next week. Oh, 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 oh wow, I knew that. Laughter Productions is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Carrying Crown is copyright 2011. Carrying Crown and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. Paizo, Pathfinder, their respective logos, and all Paizo titles, characters, and artwork are properties of Paizo Inc. and used with permission.